Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series. I'm Don Harris, your host, and uh, I would uh, like to let you know that I really appreciate you uh, coming to this particular point in time and this, uh, this particular channel uh, to uh, hear more about the words of Jesus. Uh, I hope you're getting hooked. I know that I, I just became addicted to uh, the, the finding out what Jesus had to say about things and uh, was never disappointed, um, except in one case. We'll talk about that as we get there. But um, uh, never disappointed, uh, essentially, but um, I was always uh, surprised. One of the things that surprised me most of all was how unchristian he was. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean. When you define Christianity the way we do in our modern day and uh, in, our, in our modern understanding of Christianity, um, it's pretty obvious Jesus wasn't a Methodist. It's pretty obvious he wasn't a Baptist. It's pretty obvious that uh, he would hardly fit in any conventional Christian setting that I know of. Um, and uh, because of that, because of the 2,000-year time span that, that separates us, uh, because we don't understand um, a whole lot about his life and who he was and the way Israel was in those days, the mindset of the people in those days, and there's just so much we don't understand. I'm afraid we have a tendency to put Jesus in some kind of a category. If he was sitting right here uh, with me at the table, which would really be cool um, for, you know, just, just to uh, have a, a, a tangible uh, person to talk to, um, that, that would really be interesting for me uh, and perhaps for you. It would really help the ratings of this station. Uh, but I think that as you imagine what I'm saying to you now of him sitting right here, what do you see? What do you see when you see him sitting there? Uh, a long-haired, sheep-toting Jesus with a big curly cue staff in his hand, uh, wearing robes and sandals. Uh, a lot of people see him just that way and really can't see him any way else. You can't see him wearing a pair of Dockers or a pair of Levi's or a T-shirt or, you know, having a, a haircut. Um, you can't even see him without a beard. Uh, you know, we, we, just, we just can't, you know, all those things are absolutely possible, but we can't see it that way. You've got an idea of Jesus um, and I, the reason I put it into the physical is, uh, you know, to, to make this, this concept very simple for you, you need to know that, you know, as, as sincere as we want to be, and as much as we want to know him and love him, and, and we want him to know and love us, and all these things considered, even though our motivations are good, we still have filters in our brains that when we, and, I, and I'll 
and it's the reason that I'm saying that I'm using a physical manifestation of him to explain this, we have uh, filters in our brains that put him in certain clothes. That Most people think that Jesus speaks with a slightly British accent <laughs> because that's, that's all they've heard all their life. They've seen him in movies. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't speak with an Italian accent. He doesn't speak with a Spanish accent. He speaks with an English accent. <laughs> and so that's what we expect him to say. We don't expect him to say you. We expect him to say thee and thou. <laughs> These are filters that we put into our heads. And somehow when we see him, we're disappointed. You know, we can really become disappointed in our fairy tale gods that we make up in our heads. You know, it's really not that we, we, that we should pray or ask the Lord to reveal himself to us. Because really what you're saying to do is reveal yourself to me the way I see you. I want to recognize you when I see you. <laughs> and when I see you, I expect that many people think that the Father God looks like Santa Claus. Even to the point of being roly-poly and sitting on a, on a big old throne. I mean, like Santa Claus does. Uh, they have ideas in their heads about what God looks like. Jesus said, forget what God looks like. He's invisible. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a form. Uh, you know, you're going to hear him say that. Uh, we're, and we're going to talk about those very things as, as time goes by. But um, we have a tendency to want God to reveal himself to us, but it's not really him. We want him to reveal himself to us the way we have always seen him to be. And um, in reality, I, I really wouldn't suggest this because it could be dangerous, physically dangerous, to, to ask the Lord to reveal himself to us the way he really is. Um, now, in, in the spiritual realm, we have filters as well. And for him to reveal himself to us spiritually, or as he told his disciples, to manifest himself to us, to, uh, see, to, manifest, to manifest himself to us is, um, is a different thing than simply appearing. You understand that? If I walk in the door, I've just appeared to, to the interior of this room. I've just appeared. But to manifest myself, I mean to the people in the room, but to manifest myself to the people in the room is for every person in that room to know all there is to know about me. Who I am and what I am and what I'm all about, what I like and what I don't like. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a huge task. And, and I would say that it's a huge accomplishment on the part of God to manifest himself to us. It was Jesus' promise, though. If you'll keep my commandments, me and my Father will move into you, and we will manifest ourselves to you. All right, what does manifestation do to our silly little filters? Well, I'll tell you what it does to it. Let's go back to the physical example of him sitting right here. If outside of the normal doubts and stuff that people would have if I introduce somebody sitting here with a, with a butch cut and a clean-shaven face and wearing a, 
a, a, a button-down collared shirt and, and Levi's and said, this is Jesus Christ. Outside of our own uh, physical and normal doubts that we would have about such a thing, let's just say that you believed that what I'm telling you is true and you had no reason to doubt it and you accepted this person as Jesus Christ yourself. What would that do to your prior understanding of the way he's supposed to look? It would banish it, wouldn't it? Because you've come to the point where you, you see things like they are. You see things actually in a state of manifestation you've never witnessed before. Another example, that's probably a bad example because, you know, Jesus sitting here at the table with me and all this kind of thing. It's, it's so far out people are ha perhaps having a hard time putting this idea together. But have you ever uh, been on your way to uh, a place that you've never been? And there's, it's a protracted amount of time between now and when you're going. And you have a tendency to uh, kind of visualize where it is you're going. Uh, you're going to stay in somebody's home and uh, you've never been there before. And, oh, yeah, well, we've got a place where we've got a bed. We've got a bedroom with a bathroom in it. And, and while they're talking, you're kind of building this room in your head. And you're, you're taking information in, and you're kind of building this idea in your head. And then when you get there, it is nothing like what you thought. Absolutely nothing like what you thought. Well, by the end of the day, you have almost forgotten completely what your idea was. Do you play games like this in your mind? I think about this stuff all the time because I'm just intrigued with the way our, our mind works. Where did I get that idea? Where did I get that vision? Where did I get that picture of this in my head? How, how come it is that I would believe quicker that a man in sandals and a robe was Jesus than I would a guy with, uh, with dockers and a button-down collar shirt. Plaid at that. Paisley. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, why is one easier to believe than the other? Where did I get the idea? Look, we, you know, the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years we live on this earth, we teach our minds how to imagine things. And we... We actually change memories. You know, look into this. As a matter of fact, I would suggest a book. I, goodness sakes, I can't think of his name. But it's an older book called um, uh, The Art of Critical Thinking. Um, I can't remember his name, the author of the book, but what a book that is. It, it actually takes you through some of the processes of our minds to where... You can have perhaps five witnesses to a car accident and everybody actually is solely convinced, totally convinced that what they saw is what happened and all five stories be different. How in the world can that be? How in the world can that be? It's the, it's the process of our minds. It's the way we work. And here's, you know, I say all that, you know, half the show gone. <laughs> I say all that to tell you that we owe it to ourselves to add the facts of what Jesus said to our thinking to dispel 
the, the, the information that we have put into those gaps in our own thinking. We manufactured them where we let somebody say something that we accepted as true and we just kind of wrote it in between where the facts are missing. But if you will take the red ink to heart and listen to what he actually has to say, you'll find that, man, you know, why would he say such a thing? And all of a sudden, you're looking at the whole situation. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, oh, well, this makes sense and that makes sense. But this dispels this thought that I've had all my life. It dispels this doctrine that I've had all my life. It takes this theology and just totally erases it. These things can't be because this is. Now, it's when we're willing to do that. And look, I realize we're in a very disadvantaged situation here as human beings trying to understand an unknowable God. I understand that. But if you want your life to work, you want your Christianity to work, do you want to be able to offer your poor family some idea of a, of a logical, conscious, um, open-eyed Christianity, not just some silly fable that you just have to believe. Well, you know, sometimes you just got to have faith. Yeah, there's times when you just got to have faith, but not when it's written down in front of you in, in a book that has given you no reason whatsoever to doubt what it says. You know, yeah, you got to have faith in some situations, but not in all situations. You're not allowed to just make up your faith. The Bible says to work out your faith. Work it out with respect, with fear, with trembling, with, with concern, with an understand of, understanding of the grave and dire situation in which you find yourself. This is not a play toy. This is not a hobby. This is not just a matter of what you believe. Well, you can believe what you believe, and I'll just believe what I believe, and you're, you're welcome to your opinion. I have my opinion, and you have your... And all this apologetic back-and-forth stuff, trying to get along. Look, can we agree on something like the, the, the character and the personality of Jesus Christ that, that exudes from the scriptures, that comes out of the red ink. Can we agree that, uh, that this is describing an actual man that walked on the earth 2,000 years ago? You owe it to yourself. You know, I realize, you know, you're an adult. Your life is, oh, maybe you're on the downhill side. Maybe your life is over. I know what it's like to, to, to see that, I'm probably, I have probably lived a lot longer than I'm going to live. <laughs> and um, I understand that. But you've got a responsibility of people who love you and care about you. A responsibility to your parents, to your children, and perhaps to grandchildren. Perhaps even great-grandchildren. You have a responsibility to them to be conscious, to be awake. Not just see. Not just uh, be um, not asleep, but to be awake and aware. You have a responsibility to them that your Christianity didn't come to you by osmosis. Oh, we've always been Christians in my family. Well, okay, don't be surprised if your 
the son doesn't come home from college a Muslim <laughs> because he's found his answers there. Is that okay with you? You know, I mean, let's take this seriously. Let's, let's, let's look in here and find out who Jesus really is. Let's see if he wore Levi's and button-down collars. Let's, let's look and see and allow our ideas, our manufactured ideas, to dispel and to go into vapor, into, into fog and blow away and leave us with nothing but a solid Christian faith in God. Wouldn't that be nice? I just, I just told you my whole motivation. This was how my whole motivation in, in walking away from Christianity altogether, deciding that it wasn't even true. Found myself right back here. Found out, oh my goodness, it is true. It's just been distorted. Everything that I've learned is not true, but this is a true thing. This is a real thing. Jesus Christ really did walk on this earth. He really did come to redeem us. I owe it to myself and everybody that I love and care about to give this my best effort. Not become a radical, not become some kind of rock-throwing guerrilla Christian, not out there, you know, trying to, you know, find false doctrine and, and root out bad theology. Look, get it rooted out of yourself first. And then, you know, you know when you're going to know that you're ready to approach the world about their false doctrine? When you do that because you love them and it's done in love. Not, you know, if it turns into an argument, nah, something's wrong somewhere. Back away, back away. Make it, make it real within yourself first. And then allow and let and just kind of sit back and, you know, offer answers, not questions. An another thing that we do as Christians is we feel that our, uh, somehow we're compelled to go out and to ask people questions. Do you know if you died tonight? That you're going to heaven? Are you sure for heaven as if you were already there? Do you know that you're not going to hell when you die? And okay, we're going to go, what are we going to do? Go through these 20 questions here? Is that what we're going to do? You're going to ask me all these questions and I'm going to answer them? Is that what's going on? You call that evangelism? It's not evangelism. The Bible says that we are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. But nobody's asking. That's because there's no hope in you. There's no difference in you and everybody else. What you need to try to cultivate is the difference. And when you cultivate the difference, you don't have time to answer all the questions. But you see, then you've got somebody asking, don't you? Which is a different thing altogether in a lot of people's cases. That's evangelism. You want to know about the hope that's in me? Let me tell you about the hope that's in me. Now you've got a premise to even talk about. All right. These things are simple, but unfortunately, uh, we just rather do it the hard way. Let's continue with our reading. Um... Uh, the uh, I'll start over. It's short. <clears throat> and the fame of Jesus spread abroad all about the region of Galilee, and later Jesus went to a solitary place to pray. And great numbers came seeking him. When his disciples found him, they said, Master, all men seek for thee. There's a crowd out there. 
Jesus replied, let's go into the next town that I may preach there. For, therefore, I came forth. I have to preach there. I can't, I can't, I can't focus all of my time in one particular location. These people are asking for me? Well, they're right where they need to be. They're right where they need to be. This is what I'm here for. They're asking for me? We've done our job. The gospel has worked its magic. Uh, I hate the word magic. The gospel has, has worked its power in this city. Look at all those people out there. They're all asking for me? That's exactly what the gospel is supposed to do. This is exactly what it's supposed to do. You know what, guys? We're done here. <laughs> we got to go to the next town. I got work to do. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but they, they're asking for you. What am I supposed to do? Go out there and, and just answer their questions and wait for the next barrage of questions? Look, these people are, they're, they're, they're totally immersed in the gospel right now as we speak. The gospel has changed their hearts. It's turned them toward me. It's turned them toward my Father. They'll find their answers. They're going to be just fine. Let's go to the next town. Do you know, that just doesn't sound like a guy that's trying to build a church. Does it? I know that the you know, common understanding is, is Jesus came to build his church. And um, I think that because we don't understand what church is, number one, um, and, uh, and, and we have you know, the conventional idea of church, we have a tendency to believe that uh, Jesus came to gather large groups of people that will put his name on a sign out front that is willing to be uh, the pastor and the treasurer and the secretary and the janitor and whatever else, the pew padding committees and all the things that we associate with church. We're kind of thinking that that's what he did. But no, no, that's not what he's doing at all. He's saying that... Uh, uh, there's such a thing as the, the church of God, which is Israel. No, no, no. We're not talking about real estate here. We're talking about what Paul called spiritual Israel. These are the people who have prevailed with God. You remember where the name came from? He gave it to Jacob, didn't he? After Jacob and the angel uh, wrestled all night long, right? And he finally came out of that fight and uh, said, uh, I want you to bless me. Well, okay. I'll bless you. You might not like it. You might not understand it. But here's your blessing. You're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel because you prevailed with God. See, so the, the, the name Israel is not attached to a hunk of dirt over there in the Middle East. No disrespect. But it's not connected to a piece of real estate. It's, it's connected to the people who have, who have striven with God who have worked out their salvation. It's people who have prevailed with God. They prevailed. They won. They, they made it. And the people who make it are called out. Thus the word ecclesia. Thus the word church. This is, this is my church, he says. Now, my church is a little different than the other church. <laughs> the one that we've all known in the Old Testament, I realize it's the same, one and the same as far as people may be concerned. But he says that, now I'm going to build my church a little differently. I'm going to build my church on Revelation. 
That was built on education. That was built on reputation. That was built on, on familial ties, on who belongs to who, what name you have, where you happen to live, uh, the fact that you keep his commandments are uh, as as important today as they ever were. But this was one of the this is one of the criteria that that built that church. Now, who belonged to that church? Well, I understand the first members were Adam and Eve. I understand they had two other members joined, but one of them fell away. Um, do I need to go through this list? I'm telling you, this goes all the way back to the beginning. There's always been a church of God. It's one of the it's one of the asinine ideas about what's called replacement theology. You familiar with this? Replacement theology is the idea that um, that Jesus came to replace uh, the the house of Israel, uh, the the f- families of Israel, the the idea of Israel has been now been replaced with the church. It's it's silly. It's, it's a silly premise because it's, it's built on a bunch of men's ideas having to be true in order for this to be true. But the truth is, there's no replacement going on. It's the same thing. It's absolutely the same thing. The only thing Jesus changed is, from now on, it's going to be built on revelation. This is something that essentially you, and I say you collectively, and I would say the majority of Christians today are taught to stay away from revelation. Don't get your own private interpretation, you know, because, you know, that's, that's, that's not kosher. That's not good. He'll, it's going to lead you off into error. What's going to lead me off into the error? The Spirit of God? <laughs> the Spirit of God is going to lead me to error. Well, you just may not know if it is the Spirit of God. It might be the Spirit of the devil. Well, if it's the Spirit of the devil, I'm going to hell anyway. So what's the difference? (laughs) These arguments are are absolutely hollow. We need to have a relationship with our God that we can hear His voice within ourselves and let Him lead us and guide us into all truth. Boy, it's it's such a perfect gospel. Why don't people preach this? Why don't they teach this? Why do they teach people to be afraid of revelation? To be afraid to hear the voice of God for themselves? I don't know. Time's gone again. Uh, we want you to join us next time to hear more from the words of Jesus. Uh, I'm enjoying doing this series. I hope you are too. And if you are, would you write to me? Don at thinkreading.com. Uh, I'll tell you something else I'd like you to do is to let your station know that you're enjoying this program and that uh, you appreciate them airing it. Uh, because, you know, well, I don't know, stations don't hear from you as much as they should, as much as they could, absolutely. Uh, but I want to hear from you, and I would love to know that you tell the station how much you appreciate this program. So do that, will you? If you'd like to write to me, think Red Ink Ministries, P.O. Box 718, Town, New Mexico, 87827. So time is out for today, but we'll see you next time. Until then, Don Harris, Think Red Ink. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com 
That's thinkredink.com. Join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.